Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Good morning. I'm Eric, and uh, I've officially lived long enough for my childhood to become a chapel theme. So that's amazing. I'm not sure if I've ever felt older than just now. Um, I'm planting a church in Twin Falls. I'm a repeat offender. We planted in 2002. This is our second time around. Um, People say, why would you plant a church at your age? Um, And I was like, I'm more scared of going through the rest of my life not trying to plan again than I was planning again, so we said, let's do it. Um, One of the reasons I picked Twin Falls is because it's close to BBC, and I believe in BBC. I'm a supporter of BBC. I love what's happening here. I got to be here last week, uh, talk about church planning with a couple of you guys, and it was awesome. It was really encouraging for me to see young people, uh, so ministry-minded. I just said young people, so I'm actually old. Um, Younger people, uh, training for ministry, excited about Jesus, and you know, when Derek Voorhees said, hey, would you like to come preach? I mean, I would do anything for Derek Voorhees. Uh, Derek is great. Uh, Him and I actually had the same pastor as youth pastors, Um, and so we've got a connection there, and uh, I'm like, Derek, I'm in. I will come and speak at chapel, and then somehow there was like this bait and switch thing, and they handed me off to Ben Williams, and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought I was working with Derek, and now I'm working for Ben, and then Ben's like, I want you to preach on Matthew 15 and Deuteronomy 5 said no one ever. What? I have to preach New Testament, Old Testament at the same time? I'm supposed to like tie that together somehow? And I'm like, dude, I went to Ozark. We don't know how to like link that stuff up. Um, and so I'm just going to say right at the very beginning uh, that um, according to Ben Williams, Deuteronomy 5 and Matthew 15 go together. And that's all I'm going to go on that. I'm just going to like say we're going to leave the Old Testament stuff to the guy with the Old Testament beard, okay? So my sermon is entitled, Ben Williams Made Me Preach This. Um, no, it's, it's called Fun Facts About Pharisees, okay? And we're just going to walk through a text together. Um, I just really feel like you guys, I'm not your pastor. I'm not your professor. I'm your friend. We're in ministry together. I just want to walk through some scripture together with you and see if God might do something in our hearts as we consider the words of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the key uh, characteristics of Pharisees. Um, some of their attitudes, uh, what it led to. There's going to be some things that are very obvious, and we'll pull them right out, and there's some things that are kind of inferred. I'll mention them, and then we'll see what Jesus had to say about it at the end. So let's pray real quick and invite God into this process, and then we'll get to the text. Father, uh, thank you for these people. I mean, we're here at a place where people are preparing to spend the rest of their lives telling people about Jesus. What better place could we possibly be? Uh, Father, even though we're in an academic environment, uh, we believe that your word is not academic. Uh, It's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, Lord, your word is not something that we read for a curiosity. It's not something we read to like go, wow, that was amazing. Uh, It's something we read to change our lives and to help change the lives of people that we work with. And so, Father, uh, would you help each one of us to understand what your spirit is saying to us as we consider your word, and we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew 15, 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem 
to see Jesus. You have to understand, just for some background, that at this time, Jesus had mainly been operating north of Jerusalem, well away from like where all the religious bigwigs were at. And, and their arrival to check out Jesus signaled a kind of change. Uh, somehow he'd made it onto their radar. They were kind of aware of this like this uh, rabbi upstart who was gaining a following. They'd heard things, and so they decided that they were going to send some of their cronies to go investigate Jesus and see what this guy was all about. You know, he was creating a, quite a buzz. So they sent this delegation up north to go watch Jesus. And you have to understand, this wasn't a mild curiosity for them. Uh, this is a several-day journey. So, I mean, this is like a trip they had to organize and get supplies and money and an entourage. And they went all to all this trouble just to get up there and see what this Jesus guy was about. Very different than today. I mean, if you wanted to like go, hey, what's this Eric Nielsen guy about? You just go on highplains.cc and you could listen to my sermons and make your own conclusions. But they had to actually go find Jesus. They had to go where he's at, figure out where he was, and then listen to what he was saying so they could go back and report to the church in Jerusalem. So to be clear, they were there to investigate Jesus. And they asked him, verse 2, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing uh, before they eat. Um, he's calling them to account, Jesus to account about how his disciples wash their hands. Kind of like Dr. Cody did a few minutes ago. That's so weird. Maybe he, no. Uh, what, what, was it word on the street that got their attention? You know, like people were like, I heard those, those disciples of Jesus, man, they don't wash their hands. What? Were they spying? Were they like following him into Applebee's to see if they went to the restroom before they ordered? Was it like late night stakeouts with like taking high resolution photos from a parked camel? I mean, how did they know? How did they know they weren't washing their hands before they eat? It comes down to they had to be spying on them. And now maybe you're like, they didn't wash their hands before they eat. That's so gross. And maybe you just took sides with the Pharisees what an indictment. But that's not really what they're talking about. And you probably know that because you're Bible college kids. Uh, this has to do not with hygiene, but with the extensive and elaborate ritual of hand washing that the Pharisees all did as part of their tradition. And this is a, a bigger deal than you might realize. One of their, their rabbis actually said this. He said that eating with unwashed hands was as serious as sleeping with a prostitute. Like, wait, what? How do you get this and this and like they're the same thing? It's also even more serious than that because if they could prove that you ate food with defiled hands, then they could declare you ceremonially unclean, which meant you couldn't come to worship at the synagogue or the temple. So there's a, a big implication here with this seemingly innocent charge about hand washing. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of point out some of the fun facts about Pharisees, some things that they were known for doing. They, they loved to find people that didn't measure up and then just like grind them into the dirt, you know, with the, with the, the stuff they had on them. So here's a, a first observation. They were fault finders. They just loved to look for what's wrong with other people. It, it fed into their feeling that like we're better. It fed into their self-righteousness, uh, which is why Jesus said, you know, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. They were, they were so hypocritical in their fault-finding effort. If you've ever been to church for like five minutes, you'll find people like this. They love the tattletale. They love to like keep a little black book about what everybody said and did wrong. And, and they love to tell the pastor about what everybody said and did wrong. Now, the Pharisees also had this whole set of like traditions 
uh, they weren't just like things they randomly came up with either. They were interpretations and applications of the law. And so uh, even in our passage, they admitted that hand washing, this hand washing thing, wasn't a clear command from God, but in fact part of their own tradition. And they had hundreds of traditions that they would, uh, you know, kind of incite people to follow. They also saw themselves, not just, they didn't just have traditions, they were the enforcers of those traditions. Kind of like the little old lady in the fellowship hall that's like monitoring the cookies and telling those kids, one cookie. You know, there's that, always that kid that goes for two and they're like, one cookie, because they have to enforce the religious traditions. Like, read the sign, one cookie. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to kind of picture how these, this would play out. Uh, with the list of rules and regulations and the consequences that came with them, uh, this gave them a kind of power that they could exert over the people. Uh, and and they, this is what made them so furious with Jesus that he just would not play their game. You know, I was sitting with a pastor yesterday talking um, with a pastor who's about to get fired. Uh, this will be his last week. And and he's a great guy, and he's got a great heart, and he's tried really hard. He said, I, I don't know what I did wrong. I, I tried to follow the Bible. I tried to, to deal with matters in the church the way the Bible says, and, and eventually the, they, it, they turned against him. And I said, you know, brother, you can do right and still lose. <laughs> you can do what's right in church and still lose, and that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He did the right thing like every single time, and they killed him because they had the power and he didn't, and that's the way they liked it. They loved being in charge and kind of steering people. And of course, they didn't realize that Jesus' plan was to die, so, you know, checkmate Pharisees. Um, they, they called out Jesus, and what did he do? He did that Jesus thing where he answered their question with a question. I love doing that to people. It kind of messes with them. Maybe Jesus has a sense of humor and he was messing with them, but he, instead of answering the question, he says, well, why do you by your tradition, violate the commandments of God. You know, you love Jesus because he's, he's patient with people that were ignorant. And he was really gentle with people that were humble. And he's very compassionate with people that were broken. But when it came down to like stupid religious people, he just kind of called them on it. And it seems like he kind of called them on it like every single time. And, and he says to them, look, your traditions aren't God's commands, Duh. Like, don't get these things mixed up. Your traditions, actually, what he said is, your traditions contradict the commands of God. And he managed to say that in a question. Jesus is pretty smart. Well, another thing about the Pharisees, they placed a higher value on their traditions than, the, than God's word. And I'm just going to suggest to you that when you head into localized ministry, you're going to find out that some of your churches <laughs> place a higher value on some of their traditions than they do on parts of God's word, and you know, good luck with that. Um, it sounds horrible when you say it, but this is exactly what was going on. These people were experts in rule keeping, but clueless in understanding the intent and the heart behind God's law, which is why Jesus said, you'll, you'll strain out a gnat, but you'll swallow a camel. You're, you're missing big things while focusing on little things. And it's easy for us with the benefit of history to kind of look back 2,000 years and go, man, those guys were so messed up. You know, they were, they were so messed up. But besides being this actual group of people in history, um, the Pharisees have become kind of the embodiment for religious hypocrisy. Uh, they become kind of synonymous. They're, the name Pharisee no longer refers to a group of people, but to people that are the embodiment of religious corruption. A Pharisee is, is a dirty word. They were like the bad guys in the New Testament. And we've come to use that term to describe people who are characterized by that religious hypocrisy. And that's why it's so painful 
when you're reading these things and you catch little glimpses of that in yourself, I don't want to ruin the big surprise ending, but hang on to that. Jesus didn't just point out their error as a concept. He actually goes on to name an example of their hypocrisy in verse 4. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother uh, must be put to death. Uh, This is his example of them breaking one of God's commandments. This is the tie-in to Deuteronomy 5. Uh, In in very rare and extreme instances, wild and rebellious children, uh, probably, you know, teenagers and older kids, could actually be put to death. And if you're struggling to understand why a child could be put to death, just ask anyone who's ever had teenagers and you'll understand. Uh, Hey, Pharisees, uh, God gave a command about honoring your parents And then verse 5, but you say it's all right uh, for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I vowed to give to God what I would have otherwise given to you. In this way, you say you don't, they don't need to honor their parents. And so you, listen to this, cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions, which sounds like an extra messed up thing to do. There's a, a command given, hey, honor your parents. And then all that would go with that And they like to kind of bypass some of those things for their own sake. You have to ask the question, why wouldn't they want to help their parents? If they had means and their parents were struggling, why wouldn't they want to help their parents? And I think it goes back to the fact they wouldn't get any credit for it. If mom and dad said, hey, we're struggling, could you give us some money? And you go to their house and you give money. No one notices you do that. Uh, Pharisees like to give in ways that drew attention to themselves, that earned them like street cred as like being these really spiritual people. Uh, you've probably read about that, the temple and how like the offering box is metal and set the trumpet. And, and you can just imagine the Pharisees like, sorry, mom and dad, I can't help. And then they go down to the bank and they get their $100 bill turned into pennies and they stand at the temple and like clank them in one after the other, after the other, after the other. And, and people will start looking around like, what's that noise? And they, that guy's giving money. Like, And he's still going, and he's still going. Man, that guy's really spiritual. And that's exactly the kind of like notoriety that the Pharisees wanted to have. They're so spiritual. Fun fact about the Pharisees, they they crave the admiration of people. Now, you can read all about this in Matthew 23, which is really kind of the premier uh, passage about the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus' final and ultimate assessment about the people that ultimately killed him. Um, but, But think about what we've heard so far. They were willing to expel people from the temple for breaking their traditions. Um, Meanwhile, they're actually breaking God's commands. And so Jesus uh, named this other fun fact about uh, the Pharisees. He says they were hypocrites. Verse 7, you hypocrites. You dig into the Greek and it's like hypocrites, which means hypocrites, which is why your Bible translators wrote hypocrites. Why do pastors always do that Greek thing? I don't know. He, he, He actually used the term 16 times. Um, he calls them hypocrites 16 times, which makes it seem like religious hypocrisy is kind of a big deal to Jesus. He hated religious hypocrisy, which is why he never let it slide when he saw it. And, and that, you know, while he's on a, on a roll, he kind of drives it home by quoting Isaiah. If you really want to hammer somebody, I mean, bring out some Isaiah. That's like, he says this, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. If you drop some Isaiah on someone, you're not messing around, and Jesus wasn't messing around. He says, as I consider you, as I evaluate you, uh, as Isaiah, like, foresaw potentially your problem, 
this is the bottom line. You're a fraud and you're an imposter. That's what your people are known for, being frauds and imposters. What's that mean? Well, they talk a big game and they don't live it. Uh, they went through the motions of worship, but they were insincere. They had the audacity to lead God's people, but in reality, God wasn't leading them. And that's the one thing that, you know, God and non-Christians have in common. They, they both hate religious hypocrisy. We saw an example of it again this week, and I feel so bad. There's this guy in the back today. I was mentioning Ravi Zacharias, and this guy comes up to me afterward, and he says, I didn't even know that. Thanks a lot. And, and I thought he was like, like joking with me, and he wasn't. He was crushed. I felt bad. But Ravi Zacharias, if you hadn't heard, um, we find out this guy that's like the most notable defender of our faith, uh, this apologist who wrote all these books and gave all these talks, defending the, the character of God and the inerrancy of Scripture and, and calling people to examine for themselves the evidence of the, and the historicity of the Bible and to place their faith and trust in Jesus. And upon his death, we find out he's a sexual predator. Again, another one. Uh, this man who used his charisma and influence uh, to manipulate people that trusted in him and admired him. And, and, and while talking about things like the sanctity of sex, he's actually living a life characterized by sexual morality. And of course, the truth comes out after he died and everybody piles on the Christians again because we're all guilty by association. And if one pastor's a phony, then all pastors are phonies. And that's just how it goes. When people who don't know God see religious hypocrisy, they have a very strong reaction. And I don't know if you've ever caught this, but the world's favorite thing to call Christians is what? Hypocrites. Can I just point out that when Jesus saw religious hypocrisy, he had a very strong reaction. I've been thinking about Pharisees off and on for a while. Um, about a year, I've been kind of one of those things I wanted to investigate in the back of my mind, you know, like one of these things I need to dig into the Pharisee thing. And um, I was teasing Riker, you know, you guys know Riker, uh, he was at our church Sunday and he's like, I said, hey man, he came out and led worship and I'm like, hey man, you want to go out to lunch? And he's like, I can't, um, I have to read a 300 page N.T. Wright book by tomorrow and I haven't started. I'm like, dude, come on, like get your act together, right? Uh, like N.T. Wright, seriously, like you're host. Um, but then I was like, you know, I got this passage like maybe three months ago, and I think I looked at it on Friday for the first time. Um, same thing, some things never change. Maybe I was Riker in Bible college. Anyways, um, so I've been thinking about the Pharisees, and I look at this text that Ben gave me, and I'm like, oh man, it's the Pharisees. And I've, I've been having all these thoughts kind of privately, and I guess, you know, now publicly, about who are the modern day counterparts of the Pharisees? See, I don't think that God put all these accounts of the Pharisees in the Bible so that we could, you know, marvel at how messed up they were. These stories are included in the Bible because God wants his people never to act like this. And that's why Jesus warned his disciples, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. A little drop of that bad stuff can get in you and it can really take over. And so the million-dollar question that I've been wrestling with is, who are the Pharisees today? Um, the Pharisees, you have to kind of think about how and who they were. So the Pharisees were like, like flashy dressers, and, and you can read about this in Matthew 23. They had the, the robes and like the cool hats and the extra long tassels, and the idea was they wanted people by their attire to notice them and go, pretty impressive. 
And so who are the modern day Pharisees? I mean, is it the guy, the pastor that wears like the three-piece suit and like the pocket watch with the gold chain and it's got the 500-pound Bible, you know, and like, and stands up and everyone's like, ooh, he's so impressive. I, I'm not saying wearing a suit makes you a Pharisee, but I'm just asking the question. What about the, the really hip like megachurch guy with the $500 sneakers on and like the really awesome hair and the skinny jeans, the designer jeans and all that with the laser light show behind? And I mean, isn't that like curious, like, is that to impress God or is that like somehow to draw the attention of people? Don't know, just asking. Or what about the Mennonites who are like, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves by the way that we dress. And of course, every time you see a Mennonite, you go, why are they dressed like that? Like that, that was a fail. Or what about the, the Pope? I mean, I don't want to pick on the Pope, we'll get in trouble, but, but you know, the Pope, what an outfit, right? And I mean, isn't like the desired effect of that huge robe and that really tall hat and like that little entourage of guys wearing the robes and the hats, isn't the desired effect of that to go, wow, really spiritual? Who are the modern day Pharisees? I, I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I mean, the Pharisees were the enforcers of religious rule and they created kind of a suspicion and paranoia and this whole like ranking system by which people were measured. Do we have people like that today? Is it the people that are like, um, women can only wear dresses, and I saw you at the mall with pants on, and so you're out. I mean, is that who we're, we're talking about when we think about the, the rule keepers? Are they the people that are like, if you don't read the Bible every single day, you're probably not even going to heaven? And they like to point out, like, I pray 30 minutes every day. Do you, brother? It's very spiritual sounding, isn't it? Like when they, they make these rules, and it's like they're measuring themselves against other people. And, you know, the Pharisees, I mean, they were like so good. They're so good. Is that whenever they compare themselves to someone else, they always found them lacking. And, and here's the point of all this. They were so self-righteous that they missed when the Messiah came to save them from their sins. Can you imagine that? Do you understand like the, the, the tragedy that that is? That they're so caught up in their own feelings of self-righteousness that they missed it when the Messiah came to save them from their sins. So who are the Pharisees? At the end of the day, I think the Pharisees are people who compare themselves to other people and find themselves superior and other people lacking. And guys, can I just say, like, we all do this, right? We're like, man, those stupid Calvinists, they're so arrogant. It's really weird because you just were arrogant when you said that. Those charismatics, I mean, they're like claiming the Holy Spirit and swinging from chandeliers and like, what are they even doing, right? Have they even read the Bible? Uh, that could be like a Pharisee moment. Or, or what about like when you say like, you know, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I would never do what that guy did. Pharisee. Pharisees are the ones who can't relate to lost people. They're like, that guy is so screwed up. I don't even want to talk to him. I wouldn't even know what to say to those people if I was in their presence. Uh, that's a Pharisee move. The ones who make up a religious code, measure themselves against their own religious code and conveniently find the rest of the world lacking. And of course, they're on, on top, close to God. So today's Pharisees are pastors, uh, professors, um, Bible college students. Uh, they're found in churches in all kinds and in churches in all levels. They're church leaders and nursery workers. And, you know, uh, if you want to find a Pharisee, go look in the mirror. Because my conclusion after thinking a lot about Pharisees since, like, you know, Friday is that we all have a bit of Pharisee in ourselves and we have a bit of Pharisee in us. And if you're like, I don't have any Pharisee in me, congratulations, you're a Pharisee. Now, I'm not sure why, 
But for some reason, saved people gravitate toward self-righteousness. I can't prove it. I don't have any Bible verse for it, but saved people seem to gravitate towards self-righteousness. And I'm convinced that self-righteousness is the trademark sin of the church. The longer we live in grace, the more we forget conveniently how desperately we need God's grace. And that's why I'm so thankful for this passage today and I have a chance to share this with all of you. You know, I used to be a Bible college student. I was just like you, except we didn't have cell phones or the internet and we still use typewriters. But other than that, uh, exactly the same as you. We were ready to go out and change the world for Jesus. And I mean, I, I remember feeling that sense like towards graduation that we were like the 72 that were being sent out to proclaim the coming of the kingdom and drive out demons and heal the sick and we're gonna do it in Jesus' name. It's gonna be awesome. And now 25 years or so later, um, I count how many of my friends who graduated Bible college with me have since lost their way. And I don't want to discourage you, I really don't, but the divorces and the sexual misconduct and financial improprieties, and some have left the true faith, some have actually joined cults, others have allowed substances to take over their, their lives, I mean, the affairs and the pornography and the skepticism and the suicides and all these things going on and the leaders of God's church, wow, presuming to teach others the scripture, positioning themselves as moral authorities, passing themselves off as, as role models, uh, carefully managing their image while secretly having a life of internal chaos at home, the appearance of holiness while hiding secret sins. You know, in the days of Jesus, he said the worship of the church people in his day had become a farce. The religious system that God had set up had literally become unrecognizable to God's son. It was high production, low integrity. High tradition, low obedience. High polish, but corruption all the way to the core. And it makes me wonder, and I think it should make us wonder, what would Jesus say about us? What would his assessment be of our worship gatherings, our churches, our colleges, our institutions? What would he think about us? And the answer is, I don't know. I would never pretend to to be the judge or to say that I'm, I'm the voice of Jesus for our churches or our colleges, but the Pharisees were lost souls who were serving as shepherds of other people's souls. And I have to think, just by nature of human, uh, you know, inclinations, that that's still going on. Um, And when he said it, Jesus cried out and said, you hypocrites. Now, there's a little more in our text. In verse 10, he says, he called the crowd to come and hear. You you see what's happened. He's had this like sidebar with the Pharisees who are like heckling him. And then he calls the crowds over and has more of a a private conversation without them uh, being involved. And he said, listen and try to understand. I always read that and smile, probably because I'm a smart aleck, but it's almost like, hey, try to keep up, okay? Listen and try to understand. Here we go. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. What is he talking about? He's talking about they were eating food with unclean hands. So they had unclean hands that touched food and then they put it in their mouth. And he's like, that's not what you need to be worried about. Then he says this, You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. 
It's kind of a play on words. He says, it's not going in what goes into your mouth, silly Pharisees. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes all the difference. That's what you should be concerned about. What's he saying? He's saying what he always said is you need to get past the obvious and get down into the heart. It's always about the heart with Jesus. Hey, you didn't commit adultery, great job. But if you've entertained lustful feelings in your heart, that's what we need to actually deal with. Okay, Jesus always called people past the surface and into the, the heart of the matter. It reminds me when uh, David's brothers were all lined up and Samuel's going to anoint the new king and he's looking at some of his older brothers and like, that guy's pretty cool. He's tall, he's handsome. Uh, you know, he's got designer shoes on. And let, is this the guy? And God's like, don't consider them. He said, the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, but at the heart, right? I've rejected them. I, w- I want someone with heart. And he picked David, who was the youngest, and the guy out tending the sheep, they had to go find him. That was the guy that God wanted because he saw something about the heart of David. And then you get to like the New Testament part about, about Mary. Why was Mary the, the mother of Jesus? Of all the women in that area, the women with like education and social pedigree and all these things, why did he pick Mary? Because he saw something in her heart, unlike the Pharisees. You know, I was thinking, just kind of doing some holy imagineering, and I was thinking about those Pharisees when they were little kids. You know, all, all the Jewish boys go to rabbinical school, and, and you know, some of you were like these kids that like, there was like a memory verse challenge, and you always nailed it. And somewhere along the line, someone like patted you on the head and said, hey, you ought to go to Bible college. You know, you beat the elders in a sword drill. Remember those? Like where you flip through the pages? It's before apps. And, never mind. Um, so you're like, wow, you're, you're really good. You ought, to, you ought to go into ministry. And I, I think that's what happened with those kids. Same thing, right? Like they showed some ability. They showed some aptitude. And somewhere along the line, one of those old guys with a beard said, kid, you've got it. You should go into ministry. And so they started this process. Uh, they were trained. They were taught the scripture. They were taught the traditions. They, they picked up on the attitudes and kind of the posture of those Pharisees. And, and somewhere along the line, probably years down the, down the line, little guys that had a love for God and the word of God and the people of God and things of God, they traded all that in for kind of this, this like self-deception, self-righteousness, legalism, all that stuff. And they went from lovers of God to Pharisees. Jesus said, he called them sons of hell, right? He he said, you travel across the world to make a disciple and you make him twice the son of hell that you are. How could people who, who are intent on like serving God become so corrupt? They set out to be holy men. They became sons of hell. Well, they were fault finders. They were steeped in tradition. They were enforcers of religious code. They had a higher value on their traditions than God's word. They craved admiration. Uh, They were hypocritical and they were frauds and imposters. And when Jesus came to make his first round draft picks for the team that he's putting together to change the world, who did he pick? He picked 12 20-somethings that were rabbinical school dropouts, which means no matter who you are today, you could probably do it right? God can use those guys. He could use anybody. He didn't pick the stuffy old curmudgeons with the sour dispositions. He chose a bunch of millennials, I mean 20-somethings, who showed a lot of promise in the heart department. And that kind of brings me to the end. You know, I I thought I probably ought to give them like a bunch of practical action steps about what they need to do to to not be a Pharisee. And then I thought that'd kind of be like 
being a Pharisee. <laughs> if I gave you a list of things to do and then you're like measuring yourself against those things, then that would make you a Pharisee and I'd be your ringleader and I don't want that. So uh, here's what I want to challenge you to do as I wrap up is I, I just want to challenge you to be really attentive to your heart. Maybe that sounds kind of simplistic or you're waiting for something more impactful here at the end, but I, I think that's probably where we need to, to be is we need to be attentive to our, our heart. So um, I was telling the, the group earlier in our church, we do 40 days fast before Easter, not Lent, not Catholic, just fast. Um, and we challenge people to fast from something and devote themselves to prayer. And so I was like, I've been wrestling with this thing that, you know, my favorite things to watch is murder mysteries. I don't know why. I've just, for years, I love watching murder mysteries. And I, you guys are like nodding, but I'm about to say it's bad, so don't nod. Um, I'm like, why does my heart crave violent murders? <laughs> why am I magically drawn to stories about violent murders by depraved individuals? That's something in my heart that I, I'm going to pray about for the 40 days that starts today. Uh, I don't want to be a person who's interested and fascinated by things like that. I don't think that's who Jesus wants me to be. If I told you not to be that way, it'd be legalism, so I'm not saying that. But I'm saying be attentive to your heart. What does your heart love? What does your heart long for? Uh, what does your heart enjoy? Uh, who, what are the things that you've given your heart to and can I say, young single people, who are the people that you're giving your heart to? Because here's the thing, there was these Pharisees who started off like you and like me, they wanted to be holy men and holy women, but they ended up being sons of hell. And somewhere along the line, something got corrupted, the yeast of the Pharisees crept in. And so can I just say that some of you love God's word. And man, if you love God's word, I'm your friend. I love God's word. And because you love God's word so much, you have this desire to stand before people and, and proclaim God's word. But somewhere along the line, if you're not careful, you could fall in love with the reaction you get from the crowd. Fall in love with the reaction you get from the crowd more than the love of teaching people what God says. Your heart can become corrupted and you lose your way. Some of you love ushering people into the presence of God through the powerful medium of music. And you, you want to be a worship leader because you love seeing people lift their hands and, and praise and worship to our God. Man, what a great motive. But if you're not careful, it can become about being a rock star on a stage and, and hearing the adoration of the crowds and, and feeding that ego. And, and some of you love like teenagers and maybe you had a a tough spot in a teenage year, or maybe you had some great mentors in your teenage years, and you're like, I want to go to youth ministry, and I want to stand in the gap for those teenagers that are in those really tough times, and I'm going to be that person who helps usher them into the presence of Jesus and have a relationship with God that will last their whole life long. But if you're not careful, if you don't guard your heart, you can become one of those youth pastors that just wants to be cool and have a bunch of little kids who think that you're cool and you lose your way. And all that happens in the battleground of the heart. And so like, I'm so proud of you guys for being here and like being a Bible college student, investing all this time to, to gather information and to gain skills and to be preparing to go out and change the world. But remember while you're studying, remember while you're cramming N.T. Wright books at midnight, that what God really wants from people who are going to lead his people is the heart. Let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and I thank you for your word, and I've been convicted by this passage myself. Uh, Father, we don't want to be people that others find impressive. Uh, We want to be people that are impressed with Jesus, and we want to be like these big neon arrows pointing other people to Jesus, to the worship of Jesus, to the glory of Jesus. Uh, Father, the, the enemy is so careful and so calculating. The ways that we compromise ourselves are so subtle. No one wakes up a Pharisee one morning, but they, they become one over time by slowly taking their eyes off of King Jesus. And so uh, my prayer, Lord, for all of us, for the young and the old and those in between, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to guard our hearts against the yeast of the Pharisees, that we would passionately love our Savior and do everything we do for His glory, and we ask it in His strong name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.